You're listening to Episode 7 of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast. A lot of doors opened um, in terms of people were like, oh, this is a voice that we we might want to listen to again. And it gave me a lot more opportunity to write. And I think it gave me the confidence too to write about those harder topics in the sense of like, people want honesty. And so it went from me being a little bit timid about sharing my own experiences and not being too open and vulnerable to being like, let's just do it. And it made me feel good too, because it, as much as it made them feel not alone, it made me feel not alone. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey, mamas, and welcome to episode seven of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, and today we're talking about the many different ways we cope with the mental, emotional, and physical loads of motherhood. In this episode, we'll break down some of the healthy and not-so-healthy coping mechanisms we use when this motherhood gig gets a bit heavy. I know what mine are. How about you? Spoiler alert, I'll share all about it in today's episode, so stay tuned. Later in the episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Erin Pepler. She's a Canadian freelance writer and the recent author of her first book, Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood. This book is motherhood gold, and it's little wonder I had a hard time finding it on the shelves. Erin is a fantastic writer, and the mental picture she paints with her words, along with her impeccable ability to sprinkle in profanities in all of the right places, had me simultaneously laughing, crying, and nodding along like one of those bobble-headed figurines they give away at baseball games. Don't miss our conversation in the second half of the episode, and if you want to pop online and order yourself a copy as you listen along, I won't be mad. I'm pretty sure she won't be either. Okay, mamas, it's not news that motherhood is a full-on gig. And just like in our work lives and our personal lives, we each have our own unique ways of handling stress and coping with exhausting, uncomfortable, or emotionally taxing events. Sometimes the coping mechanisms we use are good for us, and other times they allow us to just make it through another day of motherhood. I definitely have both good and not-so-good ways of handling stress, and I just want to clarify that this episode is not about passing judgment on myself or any other mom out there. We're all doing the best we can, and this has been a particularly challenging couple of years for everybody. We're walking on eggshells as we try to figure out where we stand after two and a half years of isolation, loneliness, worry, stress, and fear of the unknown. Is it any bloody wonder mothers are struggling even more than normal? Hey, mamas. I'm uh, out for a really nice morning stroll with my son today and wanted to do a stroller thought on sugar. 
you know, when Wordle was in its like first glory week, um, I think I was sitting on the toilet with my phone. We all do that, right? Doing a Wordle and I could not for the life of me figure out what it was. There was, I had, I think three of the five letters and there were, I was scanning the keyboard trying to figure out what possible words in the English language could fit into this, this puzzle. I ended up giving up. I went out. I showed it to my husband, whose second language is English. He's German. And he looked at it and he immediately went, sugar? Sugar. It was sugar. Sugar, something which I have said to myself multiple times since, pretty much since my son was born, that I need to improve my relationship with because... I believe in treating yourself when you feel like it, but it's gotten a little bit out of hand for me since becoming a mom because I've struggled. I've struggled with the demands and the the job um, of motherhood. Yeah, I'm, I'm walking by a fitness studio right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I struggle with those demands, and so I treat myself. And it's gotten to the point where sometimes I treat myself two times a day or three times a day. And I don't think that that's, I don't know. I just, it feels like, it feels like too much. So now that you've learned one of my most trusted and possibly not so healthy coping mechanisms... I wanted to share a handful of responses I received from other moms, outlining the ways that they cope with the daily pressures and stressors of motherhood. Here's what they each had to say. Hi, Ray. Uh, I'm going to say a few pieces about how I cope with being a mom. (laughs) I'm not sure if I do. One of my um, coping strategies for carrying the load of motherhood or taking a break from it, as it were, um, is to have a Epsom salt bath. During the pandemic, I turned my bathroom into a cave by painting it like a nice dark charcoal gray. And I love to just go in there, light a candle, have a dark bath and enjoy some quiet or enjoy a horror podcast because uh, that's a nice fictional escape for me too. When things are really hard, I will buy a chocolate bar in the grocery store and eat it in my car before I go home. I just sit there in silence and enjoy it all to myself. My advice is I like to go um, outside where the baby can't hear me and I like to scream fuck at the top of my lungs. So much about motherhood is finding your people. And that means different people at different stages and different phases. And there's something about the sisterhood of bumping into a mama who's at the same stage as you. And within a few minutes, if one of you is vulnerable, suddenly all the walls come down. You're able to commiserate. You're able to relate. You're able to support in just a quick few moments. And I found that Finding your people gets easier as you move through stages and uh, different phases with kids. Exercise, preferably with a friend and not your children, but anyway is better than nothing. As I move through my journey in parenting with a now two and a half year old, 
Um, how I cope through like the really yucky, mucky stuff of everyday life as a parent and a citizen on earth, I suppose, I turn to like physical activity. I'm a yoga instructor and also a yoga practitioner, and my yoga practice is really important to me, but sometimes it's not yoga as the thing that I need. Sometimes it's like a hot walk around the block. It offers me the ability to come back into my parenting role and settle and connect with my kid or with my partner or with my community in a way that is healthy. Another thing I do is lock myself in my bedroom or my car and call a friend. And one of my favorite things to do is to have a hot bath at night. I tend to listen to music or watch TV while I soak because let's face it, I don't have a lot of opportunities to watch my own shows. For me, um, having a bath or going for a walk is a way to shut off the sound of motherhood and the touch of motherhood and all just the sensory input that can sometimes um, have me feeling out of my window of tolerance in some of those louder moments of motherhood with two two little ones running around and, and needing so much from us at times. Another one is um, to get a bottle of wine and drink. <laughs> These do not sound healthy. Get a massage. Focus on your breath, your body, and reconnecting to yourself. I should also add that Saying I just do my yoga practice sounds pretty idyllic because it is definitely not as it used to be. I used to hit the mat five days a week with people in a beautiful studio for, you know, 90 minute practices. And so it's changed. It looks very different. Sometimes it's 10 minutes in the middle of my living room while my family lives around me. But I do really hold strong to believing that this is a season of my life and it won't always be this way. There will be a time when I have more time. So I ride that train. My biggest learning about this is that we all need to be vulnerable and honest about where we're at and what we're struggling with as parents and also what our kids are struggling with. And uh, in doing so, this is how we find community. As somebody who also uses writing as a tool for sharing, storytelling, and creative self-expression, Erin Pepler's writing stands out to me as some of the best I've come across as a reader. It may have something to do with where I am in my personal motherhood journey, but it really strikes a chord with me, and I can totally see why there were publishers hounding her to turn her essays on motherhood into a collection for her new book, Send Me Into the Woods Alone. Erin's writing has been featured in a number of prominent magazines and online blogs and websites, and she just has such an incredible way with words. She's funny, she's truthful, and she doesn't shy away from the difficult moments of motherhood. Let's welcome Erin to the podcast so we can hear all about her journey, as well as how writing about her experiences in such a beautifully honest and stripped naked way seems to have connected with women and mothers all over the world. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. You just launched your amazing new book called Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood. 
And I actually just finished reading it. I've been reading it in chunks because um, when you have children, (laughs) you use the time (laughs) that you have, as you know. So I've got a little toddler and I've told you that I would totally give more thumbs up than I have to give just because it's connected with me in such a way. The review on the back that says, this is easily the most validating book you'll read this year. I, I completely agree with that. Thank you. It's been a long process to get it from an idea in my head to an actual book that people are reading. So to hear people talk about it and understand that it's not just in my head, like it's out in the world now and people are experiencing it with me is very, very surreal. Um, So I appreciate that. I appreciate the support because I'm still kind of soaking it all in. Yeah, as you should be, as you should be. So Erin, you describe yourself in the book as a writer, a wife, a mom, and a city person displaced to the suburbs. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you flesh this out a little bit more for the listener and just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Um, It was a pretty winding road. Um, I would say I always thought, like, I'm not going to get married till I'm older. I'm not going to have kids till I'm older. And by older, I just meant, like, I don't want to be in my 20s and be married with kids. And then, of course, that's exactly what I did. Um, (laughs) I started dating my husband when I was 20. Uh, We got engaged when I was 23 or 24. Um, and I was pregnant with my first daughter by the time I was 25. Um, so yeah, I was like 27 and had two children and a husband. And that was not what I had envisioned. Um, but it ended up being perfect for me and perfect for us. And it just kind of happened. So I had always envisioned it being kind of career first, family later. Mm-hmm. And that was the plan that I'd set out. Right. And instead, I dove into this family life and then kind of dragged my career along with me, which is a hard thing to do, as you know, um, when you have kids Uh, and my kids are 19 months apart. So I had one, then I had another. And as you read in the book, I had very difficult pregnancies. So my career has kind of been dragged along behind me and I tried to keep it alive a little bit. And then once my kids were in school, I thought this is the time, like I'm really going to invest back in, into writing, which I love so much. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just what earns me money. Uh, it is my sole source of income, but it's also something that is really important to me as a person. And it felt really good to be both writing for myself again and getting to express myself, but also to be earning money again, yeah. because I really had let that part of my life take a back seat while I was focusing on being a mom. Yeah. I can relate a lot to what you're saying there. Even for me, like writing, because I write as a form of self-therapy and self-expression and whatnot, and being able to sort of create for this podcast, even in the last couple of months, yeah, I can, I can. You need the outlet, like you need an outlet for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So So, I'd like to talk to you about your experiences as a freelance writer a little bit before we get more into the book. So I want to ask you what your favorite part about what you do is and how you got into the profession. Well, so I've always wanted to be a writer. I remember being 12 or 13 years old and the middle school that I was going to had a little column in the week in like the local newspaper. And I used to write for that. And I thought it was the biggest thing in the world that I had a byline when I was like 13. And I would write you know, three paragraphs on something that was happening at the school and it meant the world to me. And so I wrote for myself um, what I now know are called personal essays and creative nonfiction. But at the time I didn't know what I was doing. I was just writing. Um, I did that all through high school and university, but I was initially very timid about making it my career because I always thought, you know, it's hard to make money in the arts Mm -hmm. and 
it's, I'm not a money person in the sense of I don't need wealth and great wealth and to be like this, like my goal isn't to be rich, but I did want financial security. Like I grew up with a single mom and I did want to be in a position where I wasn't struggling. So I was very timid about making writing my career because I thought it would equate to struggling (laughs) financially. Um, And so I did a degree in law, um, just undergraduate law. And I spent four years studying law in university. And throughout those four years, I just found myself still writing and still writing. And then by the time I finished um, that undergrad program, I just slid into a writer's job because I had been doing it kind of almost for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And it ended up being a thing that I was good at and something that I was kind of gaining a reputation for. And that's what my skills were translating to. And so I've never worked in any job that's had anything to do with law. And I just kept writing. So when I had kids, obviously, a lot of my focus turned to writing about um, my kids and about not about them as individuals so much, because I'm very private about them but about motherhood and what I was experiencing. So it was a pretty natural shift. Um, I had a full-time job out of university, but because I had my kids so soon after university, uh, freelance, I didn't know that it would be my full-time thing forever. I thought it would be a thing I would do until I figured out what I'd do next. And then I just fell in love with it. And now it's been, I mean, 14, 15 years. I don't know how long. I'm 37 now. uh, And I've been doing it since... I think 2008 or 2009. Wow. And was there one particular essay or blog or article that kind of kickstarted your contributions as a writer in the motherhood community? I think I know that there was one in particular that took off in terms of recognition. Um, I think I slowly started to write things that were more personal and more honest and get a little less timid. Because initially I was kind of like, here's this fun parenting story or here's this cute, you know, serviceable piece. And then... I wrote something called uh, The Invisible Workload of Motherhood is Killing Me. And it was originally uh, published on Urban Moms, which is a site that no longer exists. Um, It was on Savvy Mom, who owned that site. And it did really, really well. Um, But then it also got syndicated on Scary Mommy in the States. And that's when it was like into the millions and millions. And it it just got crazy. It was something where I think it got shared on Facebook like a half a million times last time I checked, which was quite a long time ago. So when that went viral, um, in that sense, a lot of doors opened um, in terms of people were like, oh, this is a voice that we we might want to listen to again. And it gave me a lot more opportunity to write. And I think it gave me the confidence too to write about those harder topics in the sense of like, people want honesty. Yes, 100%. Um, yeah. And so it went from me being a little bit, again, timid about sharing my own experiences and not being too open and vulnerable to being like, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just say, let's just say whatever right. it's working. Oh People are into it. And it made me feel good too, because it, as much as it made them feel not alone, it made me feel not alone. Totally. So, yes. Very reciprocal. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that because that is a hundred percent what this podcast is all about. And yeah. Um, yeah. So let's kind of segue naturally then into your book. So your new book is called Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood. And the great Mm -hmm. thing about this book is that every mom can find themselves somewhere in your writing. Is it okay if I read an excerpt from one of your essays that I just felt really fit the topic today? Yeah, go ahead. You can surprise me with it. I don't know what's coming. Well, I actually think it's um, almost what you were just talking about just a second ago, but okay. Mm -hmm. So this is the excerpt. Mums are always working, inside the house or out, their brains always in high gear. 
We do as much parenting as previous generations, and then some, with the rise of extracurriculars and Pinterest, and it's now the norm for moms to work full-time jobs outside the home. Burnout isn't extraordinary, it's incredibly common and very real. The standards set for modern motherhood are absolutely impossible and set us up to fail. There's a pervasive mentality that we have to do it all, be it all, keep a thousand balls in the air at one time, and it's killing us people need to talk about it. And I know it's something where if you take that soundbite kind of out of context, like it almost sounds like complaining, but it's not, it's just this like acknowledgement where it's going, you know, we all love our kids more than anything in the world. We just want to look at this kind of critically and objectively and go, why is it that we are all so burnt out like mothers on the whole? And why are we kind of putting up with it? And what can we do differently? And how can we hold each other up? And it it doesn't help us if we are constantly pretending that it's easy or holding in our feelings, because I think the best thing we can do is talk to each other. Um, So yeah, it all kind of starts from that, just wanting to acknowledge it and talk about it. Well, I decided on the title for this podcast, the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, because I felt like I wanted to encourage more mothers to start raising their hands and speaking their truths about the experiences that they were having and the struggles that they were dealing with. And so as you say, it's it's not about complaining, it's about acknowledging that you as a mother can have experiences that are not easy. And the more people that are speaking about it and talking openly and vulnerably and honestly about it, the less alone people are going to feel. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when and how did the opportunity to write this book come up? Oh, it's kind of funny. So I had no idea what I was doing with writing a book. I had been doing editorial and I'd been published by a ton of parenting magazines in Canada and in the States. And I felt like that was the peak of my success. And I thought, you know, the book is the dream. It's been the lifelong dream. And I really wanted to put kind of everything in my head down in one book for moms that had that goal that we were kind of just talking about where it was like, I see you, like, I want to validate this. I want to have a little bit of like, um, a really honest conversation, but also some laughter, um, and just like kind of commiserate and also like lift each other up. And it has all of that. I'll just say that. Thank you. Um, so that was the idea in my head and I didn't know how realistic it was. So I started writing essays, I think in 2018 and I thought, I'm just going to do it. And my husband was kind of pushing me to do it. He said, just go for a weekend and, and try because I kept talking about it, but it's really hard to get started. So he's like, go away and no pressure. If you come back with nothing, that's fine. And if you come back with something, that's awesome. So I went away for a weekend and I just wrote all weekend and I just cut out a whole bunch of outlines, a couple of essays. And from then on, I was just like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm writing the book. But then it comes time to like, how do you actually sell a book and make it a book that is like physically in a bookstore that people can read, not just a thing that's in your computer. Um, So I started talking to agents. I started asking around to people I knew in the book community about kind of like, do I need an agent? Do I need, uh, you know, like, how do I get into this? Um, I had written about half the book and outlined the rest of it. And um, I had started pitching it to agents and it was going well. And I was communicating with an agent who was my first, like my top choice and uh, it was going a little bit slow because the the industry is like that. Um, it was probably actually faster than it goes for a lot of people, but it felt slow to me because I'm impatient. <laughs> what kind of a timeline are you talking about here? Uh, like like months? weeks, weeks, but it's usually months or a year. Yeah. It was weeks. Okay. okay. Very impatient. Okay. Um, so so while that's going on, um, meanwhile there's this publisher that I had met a few times. I. 
I, I shouldn't say a few times, we we were kind of neighbors and we knew each other loosely like 10 years ago. Um, and I knew her husband a bit better. And we weren't, um, we hadn't seen each other in years and years and years. And I always like thought the world of her, but we were never like close friends or anything. So I had not pitched her because I thought, she does these incredible literary books. And I was like, I was too intimidated. I was too scared. Okay. <laughs> um, and then she reached out to me oh. and said, Hey, um, could I convince you uh, to write a book of essays about motherhood? What would you think about that idea? And I was like, Oh, Oh, I have one. It's like half done. Oh my God. Had she heard like jungle <laughs> drums that this was in the works or it was, she, it just was, you know, one of those serendipitous things yeah. where she had been following some essays I had been doing that did well. Um, and I hadn't been pitching her because I thought she's not going to be interested in me. Like she's, I was like, she's so above, above, you know what I mean? Like I just thought the world. And so when she came to me, it was like the biggest honor. And um, we went back and forth a bit and talked about a few things and she read the manuscript and we talked about what we wanted the book to look like and how, you know, she'd work with me. And I basically abandoned all my plans to work with this other agent or any agent and signed on straight with um, my publisher. And from there, it was uh, a long journey because partly because writing a book is a lot of work and partly because the pandemic hit. So we were delayed by an entire year. Yeah. So I uh, signed my book contract in, sometime in 2019. The book was going to come out in 2021. And then it actually came out in the spring of 2022. So all of that to say, it's a lot of work and it's a very slow process. <laughs> and And I would say that I was incredibly lucky in that an amazing publisher approached me and it still took several years and was a ton of work. So um, I can't imagine being, you know, this, if you're, say you're this amazing, talented writer, but you have to start from scratch and you don't know anyone and you're not being approached, like it's a long, hard process. And that's why a lot of people write great stuff that doesn't get published. Um, And yeah, it's, it's just a tough industry. That's really interesting to share and or to to hear. And I I know a few people who are sort of curious about this whole process. So it will be be interesting to relay. Um, part of what made the book so difficult to put down was you kind of touched on it before, but it's just sort of okay. I'm I'm you know dipping my my toes into the water of like vulnerability as a mother. Um, but when am I just going to say okay, this is it? You know, pull the curtains open and and just share. And the honesty and the vulnerability of your writing, which is incredible and just had me going from essay to essay to essay, like either having a little cry or as some, you know, moms need to do on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah, um, Like snorting. Like I was like snorting laughing at some of, (laughs) some of the essays that I was reading. And I wondered, do you ever feel that being that vulnerable in your writing is like a form of self-therapy for you? I think it does. Um, I think what I do and what I've gotten better at maybe is writing them as if I'm just writing them for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Like here are all my thoughts. Here's this conversation going on in my head and here are these things that I want to work through um, and kind of talk out with myself. And then I always just think I'm going to say whatever's in my head. And if I want to hold back, I can do that in editing. Like I can pull back things that are too personal. But then what I find is I'm like, oh, that's fine. We'll just leave it. (laughs) So do you know what I mean? Like, but I think it's getting in that mindset of being like, I'm going to write this as if it's just for me and no one else is ever going to read it. And, and that's how I do what I hope is my best writing. Cause I think if I try to write for an audience, it's not going to come out the same way. So it really is just me writing my own my own 
things. I've done some writing in the last, well, through the, throughout the pandemic, which just happened to coincide with my pregnancy and postpartum yeah. because writing is very helpful for me in that way as well. And then choosing to take that step as you have done through all of your writing, which is to share, share with people. And some of the feedback that I've received is kind of like, whoa, that's, that's really honest, you know, like, yeah. So I guess you probably just get some of that or maybe I, what the, what's the feedback? Uh, it depends on who I'm talking to, honestly, like, and it depends. It's funny what people think is too personal. <laughs> like in one sense, it's like, I talk in one of the essays about how I was, so I had hyperemesis gravidarum, which is like a fancy way of saying I threw up constantly through both of my pregnancies um, and was extremely nauseous to the point of hardly being able to function. Like I'd be dizzy, I'd be nauseous, I would be on the verge of passing out and I just threw up nonstop. Um, so near the end of my second pregnancy, like I'd already had a baby, my bladder had already taken a beating and I'm like eight, nine months pregnant and I'm vomiting violently multiple times a day. So every time I threw up at the end of my second pregnancy, I peed my pants also. And I I mentioned that in the book because I'm just, I'm trying to paint a portrait of like, no, you don't understand how gross and horrible it was. This is what happened. And I lived in a rental where we didn't have private laundry. So I'd have to like I'd pee my pants and then be like, I have to go down to the shared laundry <laughs> to deal with this or like send my husband down if he was home from work. So some people are kind of like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you told people in a public place, like in a book that's going to live forever. <laughs> right. Whereas I'm like, well, I mean, to me, that's just like, that's a thing that happened, but it, was, it felt a lot more vulnerable to talk about uh, things like anxiety or how much I struggled after moving to the suburbs or um, just like some of the feelings of either mom guilt or like, am I doing this right or wrong? Or like, just like the, all the questioning we do as mothers, like to me, that felt a lot more intimate and a lot more vulnerable. And then somebody will be like, I can't believe you told people you peed your pants. And I'm like, yeah, that's nothing. Right. I did that a lot. I got really used to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Aaron, you mentioned that the, it's been a process that you got the book deal, I think you said in 2018, or was it 2019? Uh, I started writing in 2018, got the book deal in 2019, which I recognize is very quick. And then the Lucky. pandemic started in 2020 and yep. pushed the release back by a year. So um, you mentioned in the prologue to the book that the essays are written pre-pandemic and that there's no point in stating otherwise or pretending otherwise. That's that's the mm-hmm. reason. It's all very real and very um, relatable as mothers. But it was written pre-pandemic. And I wanted to ask you if you had one essay to add on as sort of an epilogue to the book post-pandemic or from your experience parenting, mothering throughout the pandemic, what might that essay be titled? <laughs> Uh, so there's there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, obviously, pandemic parenting was absolutely like it was so hard for everybody. And it didn't matter who you were. It was harder for some than others, but there was nobody I think that it was easy for. That's <laughs> safe to say. Yeah. So early in the pandemic, um, I can't remember when, but fairly early on, I wrote an article for Today's Parent um, that was called, I think it was called Quarantines Turned Me Into a Mean Mom. Huh. And it wasn't about me actually being mean. Like, I'm not mean to my kids, but that's how I felt. I felt mean because it was me constantly being like, please be quiet. I'm on a video call. Please be quiet. I'm on a meeting. I have a deadline. Can you please go find something to do? But we were, you know, in lockdown. And this is early on where we didn't know enough about how COVID was spread or like, you know what I mean? Like where everyone was really, really tight, um, especially because there were so many unknowns. Um, And so 
I mean, that's something I'd probably want to address is just the how we all suddenly had to keep doing our jobs as if things were normal and parent our kids. And in the background, we're like, what is happening? How bad is this? How long is it going to last? Yeah. Like, is this going to mess us up? Is it going to mess up our kids? Like, when will it be over? Um, and then that continued for years. I mean, it's still continuing. Yeah. Like, my family had COVID like six weeks ago for the first time. We held out for like two years. And then we got COVID six weeks ago and it was not great. I think every mom can kind of, well, as a, as a mother of a newborn when it first started and now as a toddler mom, I just look at someone like you, for example, who was pandemic parenting with preteens and, you know, mm-hmm. like seven, eight, nine, ten year olds and yeah. you know, dealing with school and working from home. And it's just so much. It's so, so much. Oh, but see, I feel the opposite way where I'm like, it was hard for me for sure. It was really hard. Um, but I also had a ton of privilege. Like my husband and I could both work from home. Our incomes weren't affected. Yeah, you're totally um, right. Our kids, we can afford to buy the tech. You know what I mean? Yes. Like we we have the financial means to buy the tech my kids needed. So we had like a ton, a ton of pandemic privilege and I still felt totally burnt out. So then I think, how do you do it when you have a baby or a toddler? The upside is that they don't know what's going on. The downside is you can't tell them what's going on and you have a village around you and your, your isolation is so different when you have a baby versus, you know, my kids that could chat with their friends online. Like it's just, you know, having people around you is so important when you're a new mom. So to have that stripped away, like I don't envy that at all. I think I had an easier time than, for example, my sister, had a baby just before the pandemic yeah. and then had a baby uh, eight months ago. So both oh, of her wow. kids are essentially pandemic babies. They're almost two years apart, but she really, she knocked out two in a two year pandemic. pandemic. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that's hard. So rolling off of that and how we cope as mothers, I want to tie back in a little bit to the, t- to the episode topic, which is about the mental, emotional, and sometimes physical loads of motherhood and the different ways as mothers that we each cope when things get a little bit heavy. So I wanted to ask you, what would you say are the healthy and the maybe not so healthy ways that you cope or have coped with the more challenging periods of motherhood? I think that the healthiest thing I do is talk about it, write about it, kind of, you know, let myself have the feelings I feel um, and work through them and not be too hard on myself. Hopefully I've gotten better at that as the years have gone on. I definitely wasn't great at that like immediately, mm-hmm. but like I said, I, my kids are turning 10 and 12 now. So I've had some time to, <laughs> to practice. To um, I always tell people, I'm like, lower your standards. Like people with little kids, I'm like, just lower your standards. Not because your kids deserve less, but just because your standards are too high. That's good <laughs> advice. And yeah, I mean, I like to think so. It's my one piece of really solid parenting advice. As a, as a person with one child, I'm taking that. Taking that. Yeah, <laughs> you should. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then unhealthy. I, I mean, this is an easy answer for me. I'm a terrible sleeper. Uh-huh. And so, and I'm a person, I'm very extroverted. I love being with my friends. I love being with my family. I love being with my kids. I also really need my alone time. And I'm not really willing to give up any of those things. Um, so I will just be with my friends and family and kids all day. And then I stay up really late just to get that alone time. And part of that is to be a writer. Like part of it is that's when I do, I need like like nobody around me bothering me, distracting me to get writing done. But other times it's because I'm like watching reruns of SVU or like reading a book. Like my husband knows I will take a bath at like 2 a.m. Like I will be having a really hard time sleeping and I will just go to our family bathroom and like run a bath at 2 a.m. and read a book. Just give me that sweet alone time. So I I don't sleep very well because as you know, um, you still have children to take care of during the day. Yeah, so. I'm 100% mm-hmm. the same. I need that. I'm very social as well. So 
you know, parenting through it, the pandemic and being a mom for the first time through it, that and not having those mom groups and those mm-hmm. social connections and interactions every day was difficult, um, difficult enough. And then I also like to have that sort of alone me time, especially after mm-hmm. a full day of momming or, you know, being touched out or, or whatnot. And yeah, you just have to decompress yeah. and be alone and have nobody on you asking for things, wanting you needing, you don't, you want to make decisions or answer questions or like, yeah. Yeah. That's a common struggle for sure. Um, if I can get my six hours in or six hours in, then that's a long sleep for me. And Oh, same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And I wanted to ask what has surprised you the most about motherhood? Oh, that's really hard. Um, I think in a sense, everything is a surprise (laughs) because it's something that you really can't explain to somebody until they're experiencing it. um, And you really can't plan for it. Like you can read all the baby books and all the parenting books and, and whatever, and you're still gonna have your own experience. So in a sense, everything is a surprise. Um, I think when I was a young mom and my kids were little, the thing that kept kind of throwing me off and me being like, really, was um, the level of public judgment. Mm. Um, Because it's like you expect to hear, you know, somebody in your family or friend circle kind of go like, hey, why don't you do it? Or, you know, like your mom be like, oh, should they have that? Or whatever it is, like those little light um, like well-intentioned light criticism yeah. sort of kind of like I'm helping. Um, but then I would be, like I said, I was 26 when my daughter was born and then 27 when my son was born. So I'd be like in downtown Toronto with my double stroller, pushing my kids around. I'm looking young. I'm wearing like my York U hoodie. So I look like a student. A lot of people thought I was the nanny. Like a lot of the time people would address the fact that they'd be like, are these your kids? Or like, who do you work for? Because I, I wasn't, I was young wow. and pushing a stroller around. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I would be at the park and it would be all nannies and then me. <laughs> um, so the thing that surprised me though would be like, I'm getting a coffee and someone's telling me like, your kid should have a hat on, your kid should have a coat on, your should, kid shouldn't have that coat on because it's too warm. Hey, your kid's sock is off. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Babies pull their socks yeah, off. So all the time. The third time they threw it, I put it in my pocket. It's not yeah. like I didn't dress them today. So I would just, I wasn't surprised for the level of like, or I wasn't prepared for the level of public commentary where I was just kind of like, like one time I remember my baby, I was, I ordered a coffee. I'm standing there in Starbucks and my baby started crying. And I'm like, I'm like next up, like my coffee's coming in like a minute. So I'm just kind of rocking the stroller and soothing her. And this woman marched over and is like, that's a hungry cry. You go feed like your baby's hungry. No, she didn't. And I'm just, yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to grab my coffee. We wheel us over to that bench and nurse yeah. her. Like I do a hundred times a day. This, like, you know oh what I mean? Like gosh. she's, she's going to be okay. I'm, I'm lovingly bobbing her little stroller. Like we all do, but like, it's just, it's hilarious. The amount <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't know if I had like a target on my back because I was so young mm. and people were like, she clearly needs help. Oh, no. Yeah, I had somebody ask me, a cab driver, I talk about this in the book. When I was pregnant, I had a cab driver say to me, I hope that baby has a real father. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? What is, please explain this real father. But I knew very much what he meant was, I hope that you're married because I was very pregnant, not wearing my wedding ring. And I'm like, oh my first goodness. Of all, yeah, of all, if I wasn't not a problem and not your problem, but yeah. So I don't know if everyone gets that or just like young looking 26 year old mothers in downtown Toronto. Wow. Well, and, and to your point too, um, 
about, you know, you can read all the books or whatnot and feel like, you know, you kind of have a grasp on, even after maybe having one child, like, oh, okay, I've got a little bit of a grasp on it. But the second mm-hmm. child's just like child roulette, personality roulette. Like you don't know what kind oh, of yeah. a, what kind of a child you're going to like. Yeah. You just, even yeah. if you feel like you've kind of got it figured out after one, maybe a second comes along or a third and yeah. They're completely different people. And my kids need to be parent. Like, there's elements where I'm like, this is what I do as a mom. But there are things where I'm like, I have to parent them completely differently because they're completely different personalities. Yeah. Like one of my children is very introverted. The other is very extroverted. One of them has a lot more anxiety than the other. Um, one of them has struggled with impulse control and was really like, you know, outbursty. And the other was incredibly shy and had to be kind of pulled out of their shell a little bit, like when the, when it was appropriate to, um, or, you know, be advocated for to say, it's okay that they're shy. Um, so there was just a constant, you go like, what does this individual child need? Mm-hmm. Like that my, my own two kids born 19 months apart with the exact same parents raised in the same household are very different people. Right. I can't treat them like they're they're, it's like when people have twins and they got kind of like assume they're the same. I'm like, you know, children are different. They're, they're human beings. They're all different. Yeah. We have to treat them as individual people. Um, something that I'm asking every guest that's coming on the show is for their must haves for motherhood. Um, so it could be from any stage, um, any stage of motherhood that you've experienced so far, but what is something that you would recommend to anybody listening? That's just really helped you a lot or helped your family a lot. Mm -hmm. I loved having a fabric baby wrap that I could put my kids in and put them on my body and just get stuff done. They were comforted and loved and snuggled up to me and felt great. And I could use my arms freely and do things. And especially when I had a second child, um, I could tie my my son to myself and he could like nap in the baby carrier. Like I had a mama kangaroo wrap um, and I could be while he's asleep, I could be like making lunch for my daughter or reading her a book or like doing whatever. So that made me feel a lot more um, like a lot less like nap trapped. Right. Like everyone knows trapped right that avoided that for me (laughs) which is good um so I think but I think it's different for everybody like for me it's like little solutions like make your life as easy as possible have like change stations when you have a newborn have a change station in like every room of your house and it doesn't be fancy just have a mat and one of those little caddies where you can stick in some baby wipes and some cream and one of those little cheap folding mats that you can change a baby on so that when your baby poops, you're not like, oh, I have to go up here around there. And what am I going to do with my second child? Like just all these little, little solutions, like, you know, have snacks readily available for yourself as well as your kids so, so that you important. don't live on. Yeah. So important. You know, just all these little, just think what would make my life easier? And then don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Don't think of it as like, cheating the system or making it easier being lazy just think of it as like this is smart this is practical yeah, oh my gosh yes so um Aaron what's what's up next for you it's a good question um I am hoping to continue sharing this book with people it, it's I'm with a really small press so I mean it's really sweet how you're talking about how it was hard to find it it went to reprint after two days after it came out, it went to reprint. They had to print more of them, which was incredible and such an incredible honor. But the honest side of that too, is that I'm with a small press. So we're not talking about like, you know, tens of thousands of copies. We're talking about like, we, we don't print in mass quantities. So um, it sells out. It's been selling out nice and quickly and hard to find in stores in the small batches as it comes out. Um, So I'm hoping it continues to do that. Like I'm hoping that 
as word of mouth travels and it helps people and it makes people feel kind of seen and validated that they'll share it with friends and I can continue to share the book with people because it is really important to me and it's something I worked really hard on. Um, and I want to share it with people. I really want it to be something that, um, helps moms connect with each other um, and feel better about their parenting and better about themselves and feel understood and seen and less alone, all of that stuff. So I'd really like to keep this up and keep this ball rolling. I don't want it to be like, you know, my book came out and it's out and that's the end. Um, And then I guess the next big thing is I'm starting to work on a second book and (laughs) we'll see how that goes. And hopefully in a couple of years, it exists in the world also. (laughs) Uh, Is this like a follow-up, like a a collection of? I don't know yet. That's the thing. I'm, I'm, part of me is leaning towards another book that's really heavy into motherhood. And another part of me is a little broader and I'm figuring out um, what the next one's going to look like. Well, so good luck with that. Thank you. I will be doing my best to promote this book to any mom or person who knows a mom, because I think it's just the kind of book that you can, my mom's always been um, someone who's had one or two books that she's like, I found this book and it's so good. And I feel like everyone should have it and she'll mm-hmm. buy it out of the store and give it away as gifts. I love that. And this is the kind of book that, that I think people could truly do with that. Thank you. So the book again is called Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood. And can you share, Erin, your socials? Like how can people find you online? Where is the best place for them to try and get a copy of the book or to try to connect with you? Uh, If you're in Canada, the book is, it's in Indigo, but it's also in independent bookstores across the country. Um, And I find that the indies often uh, are keeping it in stock a lot more. Um, but it is an indigo as well. Uh, it is, I hate to say it on Amazon. I'm like, <laughs> Amazon, if you must. <laughs> in the States, it's uh, Barnes & Noble. In the UK, it's Waterstones and some independent bookstores. So it basically, if you search okay. it on the internet, um, it's all over Canada, America, and the UK. And then to find me, um, it's just at Erin Pepler on Twitter and on Instagram. And on Facebook, I'm Erin Pepler Writer. And my website is uh, erinpepler.com. So people can send me messages. They can reach out. They can do whatever they want. Hopefully they're nice. Sometimes, most of the time they are. Sometimes they're not. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> There's my honest end to be like, got a couple of people who didn't love it as much. Oh, not gosh. the book. <laughs> No, the book has had beautiful reception. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, Erin, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been just so nice to chat with you and learn a little bit more about the process of becoming a published author. And it's wonderful. And I'll be promoting it as long as I can. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for your support of the book. Thanks so much for listening today, Mamas. And remember... No matter where you all are in your motherhood journeys or what joys, struggles, or stressors you're currently navigating, I hope you can find a moment today to just take a breath and acknowledge what an incredible job you're doing. Take comfort in the fact that you are not alone in this motherhood experience, and even if you aren't currently using the most healthy of coping strategies to get you through the rougher moments or days, there's always an opportunity to try and make one better decision for yourself today than you made yesterday. I change and grow every single day as a mom, which means I'm a constant work in progress. I hope you can join me in slowly building up or building back into habits that are better overall for our mental, emotional, and physical selves as mothers. Thanks so much again to my guest, Erin, as well as to all the other moms who raised their hand and shared their struggles and coping strategies in today's episode. And don't forget... If reading hilarious and relatable essays on motherhood is a way for you to de-stress, 
You can either find Aaron's book in a bookstore near you or search online for the easiest way to get your hands on a copy. Okay, mamas, thanks for raising your hand with me. Until next time. Hey, Mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.